been a crazy morning. Been running around crazy. This morning I was unloading cases in Kyle, and I was lifting up this K7 uh, next to the stage, and my thumb got smashed in between the case and the stage. And I think I may have broke my hand. So, and then, so when I get back to Kyle, I'm running to jump up on the stage, like the stage is like this high. And I thought, oh, I'm super athletic. I can get that easy. <laughs> and I jump up there, and I kid you not, I think I dislocated my left hip. It's been a rough day, so, but I'm so glad to be here. Hey, I, I want to let you guys know that Kyle, One Chapel Kyle is doing great. So many people are coming to know Jesus, and that is all because of you supporting and sending us out, and I couldn't be more grateful. Couldn't be more grateful for you um, and this community here in Austin, and great things are happening so last time I was here on this stage, I, I was telling you guys about some big decisions that Shannon and I, my wife, and our little kids, we were making. Um, if you didn't know, I used to be the kids pastor here at One Chapel, Austin. I was a pastor here for, I guess, four-something years. I don't really know. Um, and then last January, we decided we were going to move to Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, because I got an opportunity to coach football. And so I kind of want to give you guys a little bit of a piece of the story of the reason why we came at. Basically, the reason why we decided to leave coaching Colorado, because I told you we were going to coach football. Um, but the reason why we decided to leave was because it was the craziest job ever. And I didn't get to see my family very much. And that was really, really, really hard, because my family's pretty amazing. My wife and kids, they're pretty awesome. They're kind of the greatest people in the world. Um, and there's a bunch of them. And, and last time I was here, there was, we only had four, and now we have five kids. So, But we are done at five. Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> but let me tell you a little quick story of, of the reason, kind of one of the breaking points for us, I guess, in our year in Colorado. You know, the Lord, the Lord gives us opportunities to choose. And he puts things in front of us to where we get to choose what's most important. We get to choose what we value most. So to give you a little insight into what it's like to coach college football, we worked 138 days in a row without a single day off. Every single morning, I would get into work anywhere between 5 and 6, depending on the day. And I got home every night between 10 and 11. So I never saw my kids. I saw them like two hours a week, and the only way I saw them was my wife would bring them up to the stadium, and we would have a picnic there. That was the only time I got to see my kids. And it, but Shannon, she was used to this schedule because her dad was a coach. Her dad coaches for the Bills, so she kind of grew up around it, and it, she was used to it. But anyway, so we're in the middle of the season, and we're getting ready to play Oregon. Big rivalry week. Rival, oh, rivalry? I can't say that word. Rivalry week. And we were getting ready to play Oregon, and we had most of our stuff done for the week. And Wednesday is normally when you finalize the game plan. And, um, and so I worked for the offensive line guy. He was kind of the, the guy I reported to, and he's this little short Italian guy, rough dude. Rough dude. He was hilarious, though. Um, but he was what we call a grinder. Now, some of you, you work for people like this to where they just nonstop grind you, work you to death, never stop. He's the type of boss that, you know, when, when we're, everybody's packing up to leave the office, 
he walks into my office and drops a boatload of work on my desk and says, hey, I need this first thing in the morning. And so it's like, ah, oh, okay, I got to stay a few more hours to finish this. That was the guy I worked for. He was brutal to work for. But anyways, middle of the season, it was my wife's birthday on a Wednesday. And I walked into his office and, and I sat down and I said, hey, coach, I, is there any way I can get out on time tonight? And I wasn't asking to leave early. <laughs> I wasn't trying to skip out on any responsibilities. I said, hey, coach, can I leave on time? And his exact words to me were, man, you can't do everything for your family. And he said, just send your wife some flowers or something for her birthday. That's what he said. And I almost cussed him out. <laughs> and I wanted to punch him in the face. And he's a little short Italian guy, and I'm pretty sure I could have taken him. <laughs> but, but he's, you know, you know, like old men's strength, like that you never know, like some of these old men. You never know what they got packing, you know? So, but that, that was a, those words, I walked out of his office and those words kept ringing in my ear. You can't do everything for your family. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me at that moment. And I felt like he said, Nate, you get to choose. You get to choose what you value most. And so I called Shannon and I said, babe, I choose you. I choose you and the kids, and I'm not going to coach football anymore. And so that was it. We finished out our commitment, and we uh, finished the season on the last game of the year. We played Utah, and then the very next day, I went and rented a U-Haul. And we packed up, and we got back here to Kyle, because this is where our community is. This is where our family is. This is where we have passion for the people that God's put in our lives. And we're super excited to be back here. Super excited. So now we're going to transition into our series that we've been on. We've been talking about the Nicene Creed. Have you guys enjoyed the series so far? Yeah, we have too. And Kyle, it's been really great. And this is the seventh week of the series. And there's one more week after this. And, um, and this week we're going to talk about one of the biggest decisions that we can make in our lives. And this big decision, this phrase that we're going to focus on today is, we believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So let's say that together. We believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So what I want to do today is I want to clear up some of the, the muddy water of what baptism is and isn't. All right, now, and, I, and I want to talk about two different aspects of baptism that are super important to understand. The first aspect I want to talk about is that first phrase, there is only one baptism for followers of Jesus Christ. Now, a mother, she was doing dishes one day, and she looked out the window, and she saw her little boy out on the porch, and he was playing with the kittens. And he had all the kittens lined up, and he had his Bible out there, and he was preaching to these kittens, just bringing the word to these kittens. And she thought, oh, that's so cute. And then she turned around, she started doing some more work, and then all of a sudden, she hears some scratching at the back door. And she goes and opens the back door, and the kittens are there, and they're soaking wet. And then she looks up and sees Johnny, a little boy, dunking the last of the kittens in a bucket of water. And then she says, Johnny, what are you doing? You're going to drown those kittens. And then he said, well, they should have thought of that before they joined my church. <laughs> so the question is, who, whose church was Johnny baptizing those kittens into? His church, right? 
There's a common belief that when you join a church or a denomination that you must be baptized into that church or denomination. So the question is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's what the creed is. We're taking these scriptures. The, the writers of the creed took scriptures and they boiled it, boiled it down for us. So let's look in Ephesians 4 and see what scripture says. In verse 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. See, according to this verse right here, there's only one baptism for the forgiveness of sin. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is, is there's not a baptism for Presbyterians. There's not a baptism for Lutherans, for Catholics, for Pentecostals, for Charismatics, for non-denominational, whatever it may be. And the reason of this is because the church doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 verse 15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So who does the church belong to? Jesus. Come on. So then when you're baptized, who are you baptized into? Jesus. See, what's interesting about this is the early believers in Corinth struggled with this very idea. In 1 Corinthians, again, verse one, or chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Paul, he's talking to the believers there, and he says, my brothers, uh, actually go to verse 11, it says, my brothers, some from, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Cephas, still another I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? See, 2,000 years later, we're doing the exact same thing. We're just using different names. We're saying things like, I'm Catholic, I'm Lutheran, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Baptist, I'm non-denominational. See, denominations, they, 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 they were formed for good reasons. And, they're, and not, not all denominations are bad. That's not what I'm trying to say today. But the, the, the division of the church into denominations has brought, brought on some unintended consequences. Now, now, here's what I mean. Some have made doctrine and denomination their idol. Some people have made a particular pastor or a leader their idol. And I think this is what Paul's trying to say. He's saying if you follow a man or a denomination, they will let you down. You will be disappointed more and more. Let's look at Galatians 3, verse 26 says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Not a denomination, with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, when you're baptized, you're not baptized into a local congregation. You're baptized into Jesus. 
You're buried with Jesus, you're raised with Jesus, and now you live in Jesus. And here's what's really cool about this baptism into Jesus. This baptism into Jesus creates radical equality. Whether you're Ugandan, whether you're Texan, whether you're male, female, young or old, pastor or prostitute. When you're baptized into Jesus, everybody gets put on the exact same playing field. Level. Sometimes we have this thinking that, that there's certain levels of Christianity. There's good Christian, bad Christian. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that when we're baptized into Jesus, Jesus now lives in us and we are all one. Radical equality. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. See, the culture has a way of separating us. We begin to believe in these separation ideas. Like, for example, some say Baylor is better than UT. I know, right? Come on, that's heresy. Some say the Packers are better than the Cowboys. Preach, preacher. We're getting real now, all right? (laughs) Some people say Republicans are better than Democrats. (laughs) Some people say Democrats are better than Republicans. Some say one color of skin is better than another. To be born on this side of the tracks is to be better, better to be born on that side of the tracks. Rich people are better than poor people. Poor people are better than rich people. Educated people are better than uneducated people. See, we hear these voices all the time of separating us in our culture. But here in this verse, what Paul is saying, he's describing that when you're baptized into Jesus, once you've been baptized, then we're all one. Radical equality. So, That's the first aspect I want to talk about. Now, the second aspect is that water baptism plays a powerful role in our lives. So I want to talk about what what role does baptism play beyond just the moment of baptism. So let's look at Romans 6, verse 1. And I'm going to read it out of the message version. Here's what it says. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. Now, I love this picture. I love how Paul, he parallels it to the idea of moving to a new country. How many of you have been to a different country besides the U.S.? A lot of us here, right? I'll never forget the first time that I went to Thailand. So Thailand was my first country I went to. And when I stepped off the plane, I quickly realized that I was in a different land. There's different culture. There's different language. There's different law, a different way of operating. So I want you to picture this for a minute. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to to move to a new country and start all over? Some of you have done that. Some of you have moved to this country and started all over. Think about that idea for a second, because Paul, he's paralleling these ideas of 
It's a brand new country. When we're baptized into Jesus, we move into a different country. A different way of operating. And, and here's what's really interesting about it. He says, when you come into this country, it's ruled by grace, not by sin and destruction. The old country that we used to live in before we were baptized into Jesus was ruled by sin and death. Now, when we move into this new country, what's really needed about us is the brand new slate, and we're starting all over. And then the Bible describes that, that we get an inheritance when we move into that country. Now, the inheritance is the Holy Spirit, and he gives you things that you've always longed for. The, you're in a new country, you're starting all over, and you've been given all that you need. You've been given the Holy Spirit, things that you've longed for like love and joy, peace, all of those things that we all have, we've, we've tried to grasp, we've tried to, to, to get it on our own. Jesus, he called it being born again into a new kingdom. When, he's, he, when Jesus was sitting there talking to Nicodemus, he tells him, he says, listen, you have to be born into a new kingdom, being born of water and spirit. Now, to enter this new country, I want to talk about the two-step process to enter this new country. Repent and be baptized. And Acts 2, verse 38, Peter, he, he, he describes this. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, I want you to under, underline those words, repent and be baptized. So let's start with repentance, because I, I want to clear up what repentance isn't. A lot of people, they, they look at repentance, and we've used this analogy before, but I want to bring it back. A lot of people look at repentance as the kid that gets called on to go up to the, to the chalkboard to do a math problem. Teacher calls on him, and he goes up to the math, goes up to the board, <laughs> and he gets the equation, and he begins to work on it, and he's working on it really hard, and he's trying his best to, to complete this equation. And then he finally gets done with the equation, and he turns around, and the teacher says, nope, sorry, not good enough. But good news, try again. Now, to that kid, that's not good news, because he doesn't have the solution. He doesn't know the answer to the problem. He doesn't know how to solve the problem. So him continually doing the problem... That's not good news. He doesn't have the solution. He doesn't know how to solve the problem. So he's stuck. He's stuck in a cycle of continually getting the problem wrong. Now, that's what repentance isn't. Re here's what repentance is. Repentance is saying, I don't have the solution. It's confessing, I don't know the answer. I don't have it in my brain. I don't have the solution. It's saying that you can't do it. It's confessing, I can't do it. That's what repentance is. Not relying on yourself for the solution. So once you confess you don't have the solution, then comes baptism. And baptism is giving the problem to the one who has the solution. That's what baptism is. Taking the problem and giving it to the answer. 
In Galatians 2, 20, it says, for I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm saying, Jesus, I can't do it. I don't have the answer to the problem. But when you're baptized into Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, I know you do, so I now give my life to you. And my life is now found in you, Jesus, who is the solution. I'm giving up my old way of life. My old way of life is dead. It's a dead language to me. I'm surrendering my whole life to Jesus. Romans 6, verse 6, it says, could it be any clearer? This is the message version. Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer it sin's beck and call. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. Isn't that good? In verse 3, he says, this is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life and a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. See, baptism is moving into the new country of grace and leaving the country of sin and try harder. See, here's where so many people miss it. So you believe in Jesus, right? Then you move into the new country of living in grace. But then what happens? We sin. And our immediate reaction to that sin is to go back under the old way of doing things. The reaction is to try harder to fix that problem. The reaction is to continue to work on the equation until we can come up with a solution. That's what happens to us. For those, for those of us that have believed in Jesus, we're living in the new land, but for some reason we try to operate under the old system. And it's ingrained in us in a lot of ways. See, water baptism is saying, I no longer live in the old country. I do not operate under the old way of doing things. I operate under the new law, under the new law of grace, the new country of grace. I moved out of that old country of sin and death, and I moved into the country of grace. And I no longer have to continue to try harder to fix my problems because I know the one who is the answer to my problems. See, Jesus, he's saving us from the systems and solutions of this world. The world tries to say, to put us into a system and try to, to make us think that we have to come up with a solution. Now, Jesus is trying to save us. He's not trying. He has saved us from that. And we have to remember that this world is not God's kingdom. It's not. And I think this is the missing element in so many people's journey. See, we, we may be living in the new country, but we're trying to operate under the old country of sin and death. And we don't have to go back to the old way of doing things when we sin. 
Because Jesus has already taken care of the sin. The question, excuse me, the question you have to ask yourself is, can Jesus handle your sin? See, some of us in this room, we're stuck in repetitive sin. You're stuck in a sin that you've struggled with for years. And you're beginning to believe that Jesus can't handle your sin. You're beginning to believe a lie that you've been struggling with a sin. You've been asking Jesus to take care of the sin, but, but somehow you, you, you fall back into it. And what happens in your brain is you immediately go back to living the old way of trying harder, do better. Now the solution to that sin is a continual surrender to Jesus, a continual giving up of your old way, a continually giving up and believing that Jesus can and will take care of your sin problem. Not can and will, he has already, it's done. Your sin problem has been taken care of. You guys realize that? You're in the new country. You don't have to live under the old law. You don't have to live under the old system of doing things. That is the gospel. That's it. The gospel is saying, I repent of my sins and I am baptized into Jesus Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Let's pray together. Jesus, today we, we want to acknowledge, acknowledge that you are the answer to the solution to the problem. You are the solution to the problem. And Lord, we want to repent today and turn from our way of doing things, our own way of trying to handle the problem on our own. And we want to remind ourselves today that we are baptized into you, Jesus. And Lord, forgive us when we try to live under the old country system. And maybe some of us in here today have never moved into the new country. The new country of grace, ruled by grace. Where you don't have to continue to try harder and do better. It's a country where where you can give everything up. And give it to Jesus. Who has accomplished the problem. He's defeated the problem. Some of you today need to make that decision for the first time to surrender to Jesus. And, and, and if that's you, if you, if you want to take this opportunity to say, yes, I want to repent and be baptized into Jesus, into life in Jesus. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I believe in you and I believe that you have taken care of my sin by dying on the cross and I believe that you rose again from the dead and I surrender. That's simply it. So if that's you and you're sitting there, that's all you have to say and believe. Now the other group of us in here We continually, we're living in the new country, but we're trying to operate under the old law. And you're stuck in the try harder system. 
and you need to be reminded that you now live in Christ and you need to repent and be baptized and to live and walk in Jesus. So I want to lead all of us in a prayer here of surrender and a prayer of being baptized into Jesus. Jesus, we confess that we want to leave the old country. Fully leave it. And we don't want to hang on to those those old ways of dealing with our sin, Lord. We don't want to do that, Lord. And we want to turn to you, Jesus, the solution. Whether it's for the first time or for those that have said this many times, Lord, we just confess and surrender to you. We give everything to you, Jesus. And we trust you because you are the one that can handle our sin. And you have defeated our sin. And we confess our reliance on you today. In Jesus' name, amen.